0: Welcome to Inspirational Journeys of the Best Minds, presented by Emergy. It is a podcast that showcases leaders who are making their marks through their fresh perspectives and leadership strategies that are provoking meaningful discussions in their community. I'm your host, Drishti, and today we have the privilege of speaking with Sharif Tawfiq, the Chief Sustainability Commercial Officer at Microsoft. Sharif Tawfiq is a true champion of sustainability, recently presented with the Top Corporate Sustainability Voice Award on LinkedIn. He is paving the path in the corporate world with his visionary approach. As the Chief Sustainability Commercial Officer at Microsoft, he plays a pivotal role in driving the integration of sustainability into the company's commercial strategy, ensuring that sustainability is not just a buzzword, but a fundamental part of Microsoft's business practices. With a profound passion for sustainability and a deep understanding of its strategic importance, Sharif has emerged as a leading force in the field. His innovative ideas and transformative initiatives have helped Microsoft to the forefront of its business strategies, and this was clearly exhibited in his presence at the recent COP28. We're thrilled to have Sharif join us today, and in today's conversation, we will explore this extraordinary path that has led him to his current role and uncover the defining moments that have shaped his journey. Welcome, Sharif. Um, it's an absolute honor to have you here. Before we begin our discussion, I want to kind of get into your background and understand a little bit of like the root um, and the starting points of your career. Um, so I just want to know what was it like as a kid? Like, is sustainability something that you wanted to start your career in, or you know, was this something that you figured out as you like as you went along?
1: Thank you, Drishti, and uh, thank you, Emergy Team, for having me. It's an honor and a privilege to be here. Uh, Actually, as a kid, no sustainability was not something that I thought about at all. Um, actually, during my early childhood, uh, I was fascinated by the idea of flying and helping others, uh, fueled by my love to uh, superhero movies, specifically Superman. Uh, I still vividly remember when I was like six, seven years old, when I first seen the Superman movie, I actually attempted to fly. Uh, and it led to a head injury. So I uh, recognized that flying is not an option for u- human beings. So I shifted my passion towards being a fighter pilot, which would allow me to fly and as well as defend my country and my loved ones. But uh, this uh, dream uh, was dimmed by me not having a perfect eyesight. And I knew that being a pilot, you require perfect eyesight. So I steered my passion and um, towards something different, which is... Uh, computers, computer games, programming. Uh, When you think of it, after all, computers can literally and figuratively make you fly in terms of the things that uh, it allow you to do. And during the late eighties tech boom, uh, um, when Microsoft started to embark and be vocal around its mission to bring a personal computer into every home and on every desk, uh, and the story of Bill Gates started to inspire young folks. I developed this very strong desire to join Microsoft, uh, actually since high school. Uh, so I pursued a degree in computer science and engineering. And post graduations, I immersed myself in a startup ecosystem that works very close to Microsoft. And I was super lucky, uh, roughly in March 2000, to be headhunted actually by Microsoft marking the beginning of a very exciting career in this uh, amazing company.
0: Oh, wow. So it sounds like your upbringing and it sounds like where you were placed um, had a huge role in like inspiring you to take on your role at Microsoft or even just take on your role within technology. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about what it was like growing up like in Egypt or like what it was what kind of formed you as like, you know, formed sort of the earlier inspiration of your life? Like what kind of motivated you to kind of help your country or like, just kind of, you know, make sure that you're making the ve- most of your expertise or your like skill set?
1: So I think the first seven years of my life, um, I was raised in the UAE and then mm-hmm. I moved um, to Cairo, Egypt, uh, my, my home country, where I lived approximately uh, 23 years. Um, and then subsequently, I returned to the UAE, uh, and I've been living there since 20 years ago. So you can do the math quickly to know my age, 7 plus 23 plus nine. Uh However, while being based in the UAE, in 2014, I took the role to be the country manager for Microsoft in Bahrain Oman. This was the same year that my ex-wife and four daughters relocated to Canada, um, and I made regular visits to them every six weeks. Uh, Throughout my career in Microsoft, a significant portion involved regional responsibilities covering anything between 80 to 110 countries, which involved excessive traveling. And when I say excessive, really excessive traveling, I remember one of the years, Drishti, I spent, I did the math, I spent on a plane equivalent of 700 plus hours. And when you do the math of 700 hours, that's literally 30 days of the year, I was on a on a seat on a plane, not traveling, on a seat on a plane. I was oh, doing okay. more planes per week than some would do Uber, actually. Uh, so, this excessive traveling lifestyle made me grow to appreciate the richness of all colors and walks of life and embark on this cultural uh, and professional and ethnic and stylistic divides and really embrace that uh, to the core. Uh, and I think this created a strong tendency to uh, be curious and to think of things that would have as diverse impact as possible in terms of bringing and bridges those uh, uh, divisions or those differences to one big uh, 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 unified impact uh, to the people as much as possible. Um, And I think also uh, my late mother was a teacher and that also influenced a lot this tendency to help and grow others Uh, so yeah uh, but of course there is a downside of that which is the tendency to not enjoy the status quo like i i get restless pretty quickly Uh, so yeah i think uh, this kind of very diverse vivid uh, heavy traveling culture i think uh, uh, impacted uh, my personality a lot
0: oh my god wow that sounds incredible and i absolutely admire the fact that you put that much dedication but i think you know now that you've highlighted that you know with travel obviously i'm sure that can have like sort of a mental toll on you as well was there anything that you learned about yourself in the process or um would like if there was there like a moment of self-reflection where you realized something about you know you or like where you see yourself headed um and you know i'm sure you must have had moments of doubt so how did you navigate that
1: i think When I look back, I learned that how I can consider myself a very conventional person, but also non-conventional at the same time. So, and this reflects on my life professionally. I've spent 24 years um, uh, in Microsoft, which may make me appear as a typical corporate executive. However, uh, within those 24 years. I've been more of a corporate entrepreneur, a builder, constantly innovating and building new ideas or businesses. I've even had new titles invented just for me, uh, showcasing my unconventional approach towards work. On a personal level, again, I think of myself as conventional, uh, but I, and I thought that I have a stubborn personality that is resistant to change, but also to discover that I have been continually evolving and adapting. Um, I had a fear of heights, but I forced myself to enroll into a skydiving course. Uh, I have a fear of deep water uh, and deep blue, and I forced myself uh, to uh, become an advanced uh, paddy scuba diver. Uh, I'm dyslexic and I have issues in reading, uh, but I pushed myself uh, into an executive MBA and I graduated uh, with distinction, uh, uh, top 5% of my class. So these experiences have shown me that, yes, I think I'm conventional uh, and maybe I'm set in my ways, but uh, there is an incredible strength that lies within, um, uh, that keep pushing me uh, beyond my limits constantly to to challenge uh, what I thought is a limit uh, to be um, a no limit.
0: Wow, that sounds, that's incredibly inspiring. Um, and I think I definitely would love to have that kind of inner courage and strength, but I, I will kind of want to explore that further and understand, but people who that like, for example, for people who look at, like, you've mentioned that you had so many challenges internally and externally for people who may have those kind of challenges, what advice would you give them? Like, how would you tell them that, look, despite these challenges, you should kind of have more of a, like the positive mindset that you had and kind of focus on how you can you know, use those challenges to some extent to your benefit? What, what would be like your key points of advice?
1: I think it's just the constant change of narrative. Like you have to really relook really at the narrative that you are faced with and then turn it to your advantage. So as a dyslexic person, reading is a challenge. Yes. But at the same time, when you force yourself to uh, learn by doing, by, uh, uh, like literally on-the-job type of learning of practical type of stuff, uh, troubleshooting, trial and error, then the level of intuition you build because of your, dys- because of your dyslexia becomes a strength uh, mm-hmm. and it becomes a, a motivation uh, for you to uh, kind of uh, continue this type of learning. Um, um, in a way, you when I joined Microsoft, you're faced with what we refer to as the Harvard effect. You think you're good, but everyone is is actually good at the same time. And actually everyone is so eloquent uh, in terms of how they present themselves. Uh, But then you think, okay, you wanna continue growing. I came across a great book called Blue Ocean. I'm not sure if you guys read it or not, but it's the Blue Ocean Strategy, which is instead of going and compete where Red Ocean is, where everyone is competing, create Mm -hmm. new ideas and new areas, which is blue in nature, so nobody is there. It's uh, less blood. Uh, so uh more and more serene for you and reinvent the game and reinvent uh the things that you can uh, excel at so so you you, def- you redefine the narrative, you redefine the situation and then create things that you can excel at and in a way um work around your weaknesses and leverage your strength
0: sure wow that's that's really inspiring I've definitely taken note of that, and I wanted to kind of also understand um like i wanted to kind of focus you mentioned that you know like that harvard effect where you said you're good but everyone else is good as well i think a lot i think with the incredible amount of competition that there is out there today and with you know with the level of competitiveness there is even within companies like microsoft what would you say to people who go like who are at that you know who reach that platform where they're potentially sitting on the table with people who are you know like you know executives that are much higher than them or you know the people who are professionals who have a much higher pedigree than them or more well networked with them how does one still maintain their you know still maintain their confidence how does the one still hold their own and more importantly how does one um you know still keep believing in themselves and knowing that you know that they still have value to add to the organization be it in sustainability or technology ai what have you
1: So I think it's multiple things here, Drishti. I think, first of all, feeling privileged that you are surrounded by good people because the moment you feel privileged, uh, the moment you will appreciate that and the moment you start observing, Mm -hmm. how can you maximize your benefit from those peers, friends, Mm -hmm. colleagues? So you start learning and kind of like a sponge, you, you keep sponging the best out of everyone, so that's that's a piece that is very important. The feel of privilege, and you become thankful. Then your mindset is positive. Then you start learning from the colleagues and the peers and friends. The second is again, as I said, think of how you can leverage your strength in a way that creates uniqueness for the opportunities and uh, the type of roles or functions or challenges. That you start undertaking it's very important to understand that you create your roles job descriptions do do not define you if if you stick to job descriptions i think that's a huge lost opportunity you really specifically in 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 big companies and innovative companies like microsoft and our uh, uh, dear competitors i think there is a push for innovation so yes a job description can be a starting point but however, you can always define and redefine your job description to speak to your strength, to your development uh, areas, as well as the next big thing that you would like to achieve. So, so do not do not submit to job descriptions. Create your own job descriptions, leveraging, leveraging your unique strength, and at the same time, the learnings that you get from your esteemed colleagues and friends.
0: Oh, wow. that's that's I really like that. Create your own job description. I think a lot of people are so... Focused in life, and you know, making sure that they're achieving those targets, or you know, like sticking to what's expected of them. That they, I don't think they necessarily push the boundaries and think, well, how can I do this differently, or how can I explore this in a different way? How can I create my own opportunities? So I think actually, definitely- actually
1: on that one, uh, because I mentor lots of great people, mm-hmm. when you execute in your job description, guess what? You stay in your job. Uh, So in a way, ironically, uh, when I'm mentoring an account executive or an account manager, okay, you can execute on your job description as an account executive, but that's a recipe for you staying as an account executive because you're doing the job that you're asked to do. But this doesn't mean growth. This doesn't mean promotion. This doesn't mean moving to the next big thing that you're dreaming about. So so actually within your job. I'm not saying do not execute your job description, but you have to always redefine your job description in a way you're executing or you're on your next job while you are in the same job, and this is how you can hack the growth career ladder within large organizations like Microsoft.
0: That's that's really interesting, and I think, like you mentioned, hacking the corporate ladder—you know—I think that's something that a lot of people are grappling with today but I think for the more in a more broader understanding and I'm sure companies like Microsoft you know if, if it's one of the biggest companies in the world if not you know I mean there's it's it's done incredibly well in the last you know decade or so but I want to understand what is what have what are some of the things that you kind of learned in your time at Microsoft maybe about the culture there or maybe when you worked with the you know incredible talent that you had available there or even mentoring people are there any sort of observations you had or is there any sort of You know dynamic there that you think really helps people you know understand or navigate their own careers
1: i think not necessarily to to microsoft i think in general Mm -hmm. when your decisions are guided by a compass uh, Mm -hmm. i think uh, it helps a bit of integrity and consistency in your uh, decision throughout your career so In my case, I've been always guided by uh, what I refer to as a trident compass, uh, which has an element of purpose. There has to be purpose, something that is larger than life by nature, uh, uh, close to be unattainable. Like you have to have, okay, something that is larger than life, that that should be very, very challenging to keep you going. Uh, Another aspect is curiosity you have to be super curious specifically in the tech world whereby one given knowledge can be outdated in a few months with another new technology or a new uh, more updated knowledge and you have to have ambition you have to this tech boom allows you to grow allows you to have ambitions so so i think the combination of taking any decision that is guided by purpose that is larger than life extreme curiosity and ambition i think helps in directing your decisions and i think another piece again going back to the harvard effect Mm -hmm. have the belief that whatever is happening to you is fair and makes perfect sense and you are accountable don't ever fall to a victim mindset the -hmm. moment you fall into a victim (laughs) mindset in Mm -hmm. uh, those organizations that are full of super talented people um uh, it will not help at all. On the contrary, it will it it, it will be like a downward spiral to you. Um, and believe in this famous uh, Steve Jobs speech that you can only connect the dots backward. So sometimes, what's happening to you now is perfectly fair. You are accountable, and maybe this serves another thing that will take you to the future. When you look back, you will say this makes perfect sense. And you have to have this balanced combination of confidence that you can take on the next challenge but at the same time humility for you not to be a know-it-all person you need to be a person who is open to learning and um, so it's the balance between humility and confidence confidence to keep you going but humility to keep reminding you that there are people better than you you can learn from them you need to be open to curiosity and updating your learning all the time so this balance would bring the right attitude to those companies to those cultures people will notice that you are a person that would take on big challenges but at the same time not arrogant not to know it all so uh, you start having people interested to work with you and sponsors also more invested to make you grow faster and faster
0: wow that's definitely something that i like the sort of the compass that analogy Um, because I think, you know, I I kind of, I kind of want to just, uh, maybe like, like re I don't know, maybe I want to, I kind of want to channel back to the idea of purpose because I think that's something that, you know, I think that's one of the first things you mentioned. And I realized that that's actually something that a lot of people struggle with. Like they have the career, they have the resources. Sometimes they may even have, you know, the opportunity sitting in front of them, but finding your purpose I find is, is, is really a tough one to navigate. And it's obviously something that's been, you know, prom- like you know, it's been encouraged as much as possible. So, if you could, I mean, I know this is a kind of a nuanced question, but if you could say, what how how does one come about defining the purpose, and even when one thinks they have, how can they be sure of it?
1: No, it's a very, very tricky <laughs> question because, first of all, purpose talks to motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, motivation changes by age or by change of circumstances mm-hmm. but i think a good a good litmus test for that mm-hmm. is that if the purpose is very individualistic if it's very centered around yourself then that's i don't think um I don't think the purpose that we're talking about, it's not not the purpose that the question uh, is aiming to find. So I think the purpose has to be something that is outside you, something that involves at a minimum family, friends, social circle. Uh, uh, And again, it's it's something that would always increase your circle of concern. You remember there was this uh, book, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People was a reference of circle of influence and circle of concern. The larger the circle of concern and the wider you try to stretch your circle of influence, it's it's a litmus test of successful people, people who are concerned by things that are larger than themselves, they care about a specific cause, uh, more social impact uh, something that would transform the world, change the world—those type of high, big aspirations that are usually larger than life. So this is their concern, and continuously they start, they try to expand their circle of influence to be able to actually actualize this concern and this "quote-unquote" purpose. But if it's just food and shelter for you. That's survival. That's not purpose. Uh, I think so. So I think you, you need to you need to really think: is it a, is it about your own survival, or um, is it something that is larger than you? as something that somehow it will be read in your eulogy <laughs> sometime when uh, uh, after so many years? Hopefully uh, that people will be saying that in your eulogy. So I think think of your eulogy and then maybe your purpose becomes a bit more clearer.
0: Yeah, definitely. And thank you so much. I know that, that was a very true, that was a loaded question. So I appreciate your response on that. Um, I think just to kind of wrap things up and kind of you know, give something a little bit, a little, little more meaning to maybe social impact, you're made, you've made incredible amount of progress in sustainability. And I think you're, you know, your achievements, but more, more importantly, your passion speaks volumes. So, I think maybe if there was something you know for those who have found their purpose in sustainability, is there any piece of advice you'd like to give them, or if there is there any starting points that you could recommend them um, you know, having been in this space yourself and having made so many large strides in it
1: I think again be be super curious. this thing is super complex, extremely complex, and multifaceted multi multi-domain as well there is carbon, energy, water waste, circularity uh, and under each actually and plus a biodiversity plus plus under each there are multiple e- elements in that so you have to pick uh, a specific domain where you start with um, you have to be patient mm-hmm. um, don't take topics as a cult, uh, because the, the moment you, because sometimes I feel some of the folks in sustainability is almost like acting and behaving like cults in a way, uh, so um, themselves against the world. So it cannot be I, sh- I think addressed or tackled with uh, with this level of confrontational. Uh, uh, it's us versus the world. It's it's a very collaborative topic. You have to have the patience to bridge opinions, understand that each and every, actually arguably, topic, there will be a counter-argument, is electric vehicle good? Yes, from one side, but another side that can be also scientific, not really because, and then they will have their own points, because maybe lithium in batteries, the mining of that is harmful to the nature, maybe because you still consume energy from uh, Uh, um, fossil fuel powered grids, so still it's, so so you you go into, there is always an argument of pro and cons for each and every topic, so you have to have, you have to be grounded um, 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 and not uh, highly charged, and you have to be patient and understand that this is something that would require patience and also your your ability to bridge between uh, different opinions and different walks and colors of life as much as possible. So you're always like acting like a translator uh, between two different camps. And if you don't do this, you will be alienating people and, and, and making people feel that this is a very uh, exclusive topic and they will not be interested to, to to listen to you. So you have to always carry this uh, mindset that you have to be open to other opinions and as much as possible. Uh, try to simplify the topic and attract more people towards uh, doing the right thing as much as possible. And at the same time, you you, al- you also need to look for environments that has the right culture. Um, uh, some there is a famous say called "People uh, join companies and leave managers." I would mm-hmm. actually make a spin on that. Actually, join managers regardless of the pay, and leave companies because of the culture, if the culture doesn't inspire you. So actually, do not just join companies. Look for the person that you will be working for. Specifically, if you're early in career, I cannot, I cannot really uh, state enough the impact of your first few managers in your professional persona. So you have to really look at the managers that you would like to work for that would inspire you. Uh, And again, finally, and I I can't repeat this enough, be very curious and don't be concerned about money in the first phase of your life as much as you can, if you can, of course. Uh, That's it.
0: Oh, Amazing. Thank you so much for that advice, Sharif. And today's conversation has been extremely insightful, to say the least. Um, I thank you again for um, being a member of our podcast um, and looking forward to speaking to you soon.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for having me.